This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. Eric Scopel, Jared Mack here as planned and as usual on your podcast. But we're joined by a special guest today, kookfan.com's Jamie Vinnick, to preview number 15 Oregon's trip to the Palouse to play Washington State. Jamie, I told you before we started, I had a stat that I thought I might share with you. That I'm not sure. Do you read the Pac-12 emails? No, not really. Okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest, but... So here, here's, here's, here's the stat. I want to see if this irritates you. So Washington State, and I bring this up because on, on Saturday's show after Oregon um, pasted BYU, we talked about how this might be a ranked, like two ranked teams, Oregon, Washington State, might both be ranked. Here's the stat. Mm-hmm. Washington State is just the second Power 5 team since 1996 to start 3-0 and with a road win over a top 20 team and not be ranked. You know what's funny? I actually know of that fact because our play-by-play guy tweeted it out. Okay. Um, in, in regard to being irritated, honestly, at this point, no, because this is what we come to expect at Washington State. We don't get – I mean, we're not that far removed from Washington State being 10-1 and going into the Apple Cup and being ranked behind, you know, 8-3 and Florida and not getting into a New Year's Six game. So, unfortunately, there's a saying here of Cougs versus everyone. That applies to it. Honestly, uh, Dicker was actually talking about this this week. The rankings before week six are stupid anyways. They just, they don't matter. No one knows. I mean, is Texas A&M going to be ranked at the end of the season? What what do you you think? Probably Probably, not. Probably Probably not. not. And and just to fill in those listening who are wondering, the other team was Kentucky in 2002. So there's just kind of the the final. What do do Washington State and Kentucky have in common? Not traditional football powered. Basketball schools. I like that. I don't know if the other one is. (laughs) <laughs> um, but uh, I saw that uh, on Saturday or uh, Sunday when the polls came out, I just kind of had a chuckle. It's like, yeah, that's, that's par for the course. Yeah. Well, okay. So I want, I want to get into the Wisconsin game. Cause I, I'll be honest. I, I didn't get a chance to watch it when it was unfolding. Uh, Oregon was playing that day. Didn't get, didn't have an opportunity, but I went and watched like the extended highlight package um, last night and watched it again today. I, I guess, what did you make from that game? Cause it felt like a, like just a really sloppy game like a lot of mistakes made by both sides it seemed like Washington State did a great job of taking advantage of Wisconsin mistakes but offensively I don't know maybe Wisconsin's defense is is I don't want to say better than I than I think but I I just wonder like did you come away really impressed with Washington State's offense or are you just like madly impressed with their defense and still have quite concerns coming away from that with with Cam Ward and some of the offensive stuff you know I, I think heading into that game there was concerns of how the offense would play um it was not a pretty performance against Idaho uh, I mean, Cam Ward, again, the numbers look okay, 25 of 43 touchdowns, but you watch that game and it wasn't pretty. A lot of a lot of plays in which he doesn't make the right decision. Um, you know, he looked like a guy who was under the big lights his, for the first time in his career. You know, I, I think that Martin – I think it was uh, – the stat was at Camp Randall going into the second week. 
there were more people at that game than there were combined at his 12 FCS games last year. Could be wrong on that, but it was something he had never played in, in atmospheres that big. The one thing that was true about the Wazoo offense against Wisconsin is it started terribly. I mean, they were in reverse. Uh, Ward was, I think, two of seven. He had thrown a really bad interception over the middle, um, and they just had no mojo. Um, it actually was a fourth down stop that kind of got him going. And the one thing that has been true all year now through three games with Washington State, when they go with tempo, things go well. They find a flow. They find a rhythm. It was true against Colorado State. It was true against Wisconsin. When they went tempo, that's when they had success. But, you know, in answering your question, you know, what did I kind of come away with that game thinking? I think Wisconsin does have a very good defense. Um, I think that the big way that they were kind of able to slow down Washington State is their weakness was a little bit in the secondary because of injuries. But at that point, the Cougar passing offense just wasn't on point yet. They weren't at their best. They were still kind of trying to figure out who they were and what their identity was. Um, but the Coug defense on the flip side was was good enough to where it didn't matter what the offense was doing. And it's it's a uh, quite the quite the change when you know you rely on your defense. I remember joking last year actually. Uh, Wazoo went down I think seventeen thirteen to Utah late, uh, something like that. And with like six minutes left, and I remember telling one of my friends, "Man, it's weird to be with six minutes left. You're not sure if they're going to score a touchdown." Last year, we know they're scoring a touchdown. It's just whether or not they're going to give up another one. So this year was kind of uh, it was a little bit more of yeah, okay, are they going to get enough points? But there wasn't a lot of you know, worry about the defense. I think a lot of people did figure eventually as that game wore on that Wisconsin would wear them down. And they really did start to do that on the last drive right up until Wazoo forced a turnover, took the ball away, never gave it back. So I think you saw the flashes of what the offense could be against Wisconsin. I think, again, the last drive was a really good indicator. They made a couple really key plays. Um, You saw some flashes on their first scoring drive. And then you saw a lot more against Colorado State. But I, I think it was still a, this was a it was a weird way for Washington State to win a big game, relying on the defense and the offense just doing enough instead of offense scores fifty, defense just holding the forty five. Jim, I want to stick on on defense here because the the stats are really jarring to look at. And again, you kind of touched on you know I, I've been telling people on the message board on, on DuckTerritory.com like this is not your father's Washington State team. This isn't like you know this isn't the Washington State team from two years ago. As you said, like where, the, where you can just rely on them to score a ton of points and the defense is maybe iffy. Defensive numbers are absolutely incredible here through three games in terms of just the disruption defensively. 30 tackles for loss, 14 sacks, five forced fumbles. I'm just curious on how that's taking place. I, I, I want to highlight some d- defensive players individually in a moment, and, and, and you can maybe name a couple here because some of the stats individually are also really impressive. But just what – What's kind of led to this, and, and how much of this is just you've got a defensive-minded coach now in Jake Dickert who's got experience as a coordinator, and this is kind of the way he wants his team to play. Yeah, I mean, I think that the number one reason you are seeing kind of the numbers that they are is Dayon Henley. I think that uh, transferring from Nevada, he came over with Brian Ward, the Cougs' new defensive coordinator, and the expectation was he was going to be a pretty good player. I mean, he was an all-conference guy. Um, he had a ton of interceptions last year, but he's a guy who had never recorded a sack. He was purely a – Boundary to boundary linebacker. He wasn't a pass rusher. I mean, this was a guy who came into college as a wide receiver mm. and as a kick returner and then kept getting – he was a high school quarterback and just get kept getting bigger and bigger and stronger. And they finally said, all right, you're going to play linebacker now. Um, he has changed the entire defense. And, you know, the one thing I always point to is Jihad Woods and Justice Rogers were at Wazoo forever, and they were really solid linebackers. 
but they didn't have this type of abilities. And the thing I always compare them to is Jihad Woods and Justice Rogers. They're your Bobby Wagners, guys who are tackle machines, really good, but you know they're not the pass rushers. They're not the guys in coverage. Dayon Henley's more of the Micah Parsons. He's a, he's a modern-day linebacker that really can do it all. You look at the last play against Idaho, he's running stride for stride with an Idaho receiver, cuts in front of the route, gets the interception to win the game. He has changed what they've been able to do, not just for himself, but because teams have to account for him, it opens up space off the edges. You know, teams last year would do a lot of double-team blocks on R.J. Stone and on Brennan Jackson and dare the linebackers or the interior of the defensive line to beat them. And more and more often than not, they did it. Wazoo already has more sacks from non-edges in three games than it did all of last season. Yeah. The Cougs only had four and a half non-edge sacks last year. Henley himself has four already. So it's been an improvement. It's, it's just been what he has brought. It's been an incredible improvement from the interior of the defensive line. Um, and it's been, you know, a gradual uh, progression from the edges, from R.J. Stone, from Brennan Jackson, and then even down to Andrew Edson and Quinn Roth, you know, you could probably say right now Stone hasn't even been their best edge. Yeah. He's kind of gotten off to a bit of a slow start. He's had an injury um, that hampered him through all of fall camp. But Roth's got, I think, five hurries and uh, is the highest-rated pass rusher on the team um, amongst edges on PFF. Jackson's got, I think, either I think something like nine quarterback hurries. So it's kind of been a, a team effort, but Henley has spearheaded it because of what he's been able to do uh, in terms of disrupting backfields. Jamie, just want to say thanks again for coming on. Uh, yes. This this could have be more of a, a a you question. Just you know, covering the team, going from from Leach into Rolovich's brief tenure. Just what is it like from your perspective? You kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. Just of going from a team that is so offensively, uh, it was it was exceptional for multiple years, and now they're going straight to a defense with Coach Dicker. Just how is that covering a team for you? Just what, what is the difference there in your perspective? You all, you know, I think in the past, and I'll I'll preface and say I only covered Leach for a couple practices in spring of 2019, just filling in. Um, or excuse me, yeah, no, spring of spring of 2019. So I didn't get a whole Leach experience in terms of the team I covered, um, but was a student there, and it, it was kind of what I was saying. You knew they were going to score. It was well, are they going to get defensive stops? And they, there was always players, and there was always moments where they'd have these great defensive games. Um, the one that everyone always points to is the USC game in 17, where they really take care of Sam Darnold, and they I don't think he threw a touchdown in that game. I think he rushed for one. Um, you know, game day uh, against Oregon, they had a great performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was always the the uh, the prospect of an absolute tire fire also happening. I, they gave up, you oh, know, yeah. the same year of the USC game, and they gave up 60 or 58 to Arizona um, during the Khalil Tate Heisman uh, Heisman uh, <laughs> uh, campaign. Um, obviously, 2019, they were a, a nightmare. They couldn't stop anybody. I mean, I think every Kook fan remembers the UCLA game, and I'm sure you guys remember the Everybody Oregon remembers game. that game. They, they're up on Oregon late and decide, now we're going to sag 50 yards off the line and let Oregon you know, go 15 yards down the field and, um, and then give up the game-winning field goal. So it, it's just different to look at a team. And, you know, I, I was joking with one of the former writers, and the guys who were coming to talk after all the, the games and all the practices, they were offensive players with a defensive player sprinkled in. It's the opposite now. You're getting defensive players like crazy because those are the guys having the best games. Let's let's focus a little bit on this offense here because, you know, obviously an air raid offense the last several years, decade, I guess, and, and now it's being called the coup grade. 
And I'm noticing a little bit of tight end usage, which is just crazy to think with Washington State. You didn't used to see any of that. It was like never, it was like there was never 11 or 12 personnel. Um, what, it, like, what is this offense? And, and, and I asked in part because, you know, I, again, I watched the Washington State or the Wisconsin game and, and Ward was kind of iffy. The offense wasn't great in general in that game. Obviously, much better last week. But like, do, do are we are we expecting this an an offense that can that could go toe to toe with an offense that scores thirty five to forty points, or or is this going to be an offense that really is going to need the defense to hold opposing offenses in check more? You know, that's a great question. I, th- I think it's a question that we're all still trying to figure out. Um, I think the offense has the potential to score forty, but potential and production are two different things. They showed that the first half last week against Colorado State, they put 28 up. Yes, it's Colorado State, that mm-hmm. disclaimer on that. But they've shown what they can do offensively. The question mm-hmm. now is the consistency. As great as the first half was, they scored 10 points in the second half, and the only touchdown came in the dying seconds when the third stringers were in for Colorado State, and Wazoo had most of their backups too. So I think there is the potential that they'll have a game or two where yeah, they're going to all of a sudden go ahead and, and score 40 or they'll score 50. Um, but I don't know if that's this week. That might be something that as Ward gets more comfortable, as his rapport kind of improves with his receivers, then maybe we see a 50-point game or a 40-point game. So it, it is a different offense uh, from Leach as well. As you mentioned, tight ends. I mean, the last time a Wazoo tight end caught a, or tight end caught a pass at Wazoo was 2011. Uh, I mean, 11 years ago in the Apple Cup with Paul Wolf. Uh, there's more of an uh, emphasis on the run game. I mean, Leach never called a run. Like, literally, the only run plays that Washington State had were checks from the quarterback. That's not the case here. I mean, Dickert preaches being multiple. I mean, he says it a lot about everything. That's his favorite word is multiple. Um, so they do have the ability to run the ball a little bit better. You know, what What would drive Washington State fans nuts the last two years is you've got Max Borgie, and he's getting the ball 10 times a game. And, and Rolovich – the, the run and shoot didn't use Borgie at all out of the backfield. I mean, he, that was he was a Blitnikoff Award uh, watch list guy, and I think he had 15 catches, 20 catches, something like that. So it, it's a it's kind of a mixture of the two offenses, but it, it kind of has their own twist. It's more of what a what you maybe see Cliff Kingsbury run in the uh, in the NFL with that kind of okay. that version of an area. Obviously, not not nearly as effective because uh, that's as good of an offense as there is maybe in the league that isn't Kansas City's, but. It's more in that mold, more of kind of what Graham Harrell was maybe doing with his air raid. It's not the traditional leech. We're throwing 75 times a game uh, air raid. There's a little more of a, of a variety in this version. You know, Dan Lanning talked to a couple times at practice this week and highlighted some of the, the potential issues that Oregon could run into with, with Ward's scrambling ability, but specifically about the, the Washington State's wide receivers and how tall they are, like the 6'3", 6'4", guys. Just how have those guys been implemented into this new coup grade offense? And, uh, you know, how do they how do they help Ward and how do they provide, you know, a potential uh, mismatch for Oregon's defensive backs? Yeah, I mean, I think another reason or another way that the, the two air raids differ is under Leach, it was slot guys, slot guys, slot guys. Yep. Yes, you had your Gabe Marks and your Dom Williamses, but there was so much of an emphasis on, on River Craycraft and Brandon Arcanado and getting the ball to the other, underneath guys. This year, it's been a complete opposite. The The bulk of the offense or bulk of the passing game has gone to the outside, has gone to Dejon Stribling and has gone excuse me, uh, to Donovan Ollie. So those are guys, and they have that size. Now, they're not just throwing jump balls and saying, all right, go moss somebody. It's a lot of, you know, deliberate timing routes, out routes, 
kind of getting the ball to them toward the sideline and then letting them use their size to outmuscle defenders. Um, but it's not just, you know, Leach's favorite play was four verticals. Everyone go deep and throw it up to someone. There's not a, a ton of that. It, it's a little more of a of a design, a little more of a deliberate offense. Um, but it is, it is different in the sense that the outside receivers have been very, very involved early. I mean, that was an end. Another reason people got frustrated with Leach is he'd have guys like Des Patman and Tay Martin, and they just wouldn't get the ball that much. He was so reliant on going on the underneath routes um, and getting them underneath. But Wazoo's two leading receivers are its two outside receivers so far, those being on are Ollie and Stribling. And Ollie was a guy who was just kind of there last year. Stribling you, you saw flashes of as a freshman, but Ollie's really taken strides. And the one thing I know that uh, when Joel Filani got here and he got these receivers who were 6'3", they're two, 205, 210, he pretty much told them, you're big, you're strong. Play like a 6'3 guy. Don't play like a 5'8 slot guy. And they've started to do that a little bit more. And I think that's helped them, you know, match up against smaller corners. Because, you know, I mean, how many receivers over the years on any program have you seen? you got this 6'4 guy. He's 220. He looks the part. And then he's getting out-muscled by 5'8 guys. We're going to take a quick break here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talking to KookFan.com's Jamie Vinnick previewing Saturday's game with number 15 Oregon at Washington State at 1 p.m. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Still talking with Jamie here. Still got some questions. I actually, it's kind of funny because I, I wanted to ask a question about this, and you kind of indirectly led me this direction with your an answer a little bit ago. Talk about the Arizona Cardinals offense and and why that stands out is I, I I don't I didn't maybe see it on tape, and there are differences in body types, but Oregon safety Jamal Hill compared Kyler Murray to Cam Ward. Is that comparison like what do you think of that and I think part of it was it was twofold it was he gets the ball out quick Landing said he kind of reminds him of a shortstop in terms of just the yeah. quick delivery and it stands out watching him I mean he does get the ball out really quick it's not a long wind up at all uh, but then also the, the scrambling ability and what he can do with his feet yeah um I would say the shortstop I I can agree with that I personally don't see Kyler Murray the one thing about mm-hmm. Ward is um and this is what Dickard has said too He's mobile. He's not necessarily Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray where he's going to really kill you with his legs. He can get out of the pocket. I mean, he's not a statue, but this isn't they're, they're not drawing up runs for him. I mean, I think if you watch Kyler Murray, half of what makes him so deadly is what he does with his legs. Right. I, I wouldn't say Cam's like that. He can make plays, but it's more escapability than runability. That's I think Jake said that exactly um, either Monday or after Saturday's game. That's kind of what he's more able to do. It's more of what Russell Wilson would do, where he somehow dances out of the pocket. Um, you know, five guys try and get him. He spins away from one, spins away from another, and then somehow finds someone open. It's more of that than, you know, you, you see Kyler, pressure comes, he breaks off a 25, 30 yard run. So, but he does get the ball out quick. So that comparison is very much, I think, uh, is spot on. And, and I think if you look, when the offense has struggled, it's when that doesn't happen. You know, the Cougar offensive line is 
okay. It's had good moments. It's had not so good moments. But when they get the ball quick and they get it out, that's when they have success. And I think that's when Ward's at his best, too. He sits around in the pocket for 10 seconds. Well, that's when things maybe can break down a little bit. Um, I, I think the one thing we've seen a few times is, you know, he'll look at a guy or he'll go through a progression and, okay, that's a throw that's complete against, a, you know, a Southland conference safety. That's right. not a throw that's complete against a, a power five safety or even an FBS safety. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we talked to a couple of Oregon defensive players uh, after practice and, and most of them mentioned about Ward's scrambling ability. Um, teams specifically after the Georgia game have been attacking Oregon on the perimeter just for with, with Ward scramble ability. And like you said, just to get out of the pocket and, and make and make those opportunities or, or potentially run in, in some type of RPO, just, you know, how, how do you think that Washington state can attack Oregon on the perimeter and, and try to replicate something at least of what Georgia did? Yeah, I think that, you know, Ward, he does have that ability to get to the outside. And, but again, it, when he gets there, he's not going to turn up field. It's going to be, all right, look, 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 maybe pick up five yards. Or what he's been so good at is, look, 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 someone springs open over the middle. Um, he did that against Colorado State for completion. He also did that against Colorado State for an interception. So I think, you know, the one thing that Washington State maybe lacks is just that overall really top-end speed to where they can get into the, get into the flats and really burn. The only guy that can really do that is Jalen Jenkins, their backup running back. He has done that a couple times. Nikia Watson has shown more speed. He's still not a guy that if you get him in space is going to burn, you know, 80 yards down the sideline and outrun, you know, 11 Oregon defensive players. So I think that's maybe not the the place of strength for Washington State. I do think it's, I'm sure, something they're preparing for and something they probably have, you know, uh, a place for. But I wouldn't say that's necessarily their strength or something they've done a whole lot this year. I want to take a quick temperature check with you. Jamie, in terms of just this season with Washington State, because they have the highs against Wisconsin. And then the other two opponents, not overly impressive. And as you said, the game with Idaho, it's funny. I was actually, uh, I didn't get to watch that game, but I flew back on uh, from Atlanta. And I was, my seatmate is the wife of the Oregon State offensive line coach. So there's a, a very random shout out. We were talking Pac-12 football. I know this is going to connect at some point, I swear. But <laughs> But the reason I bring it up is she goes, yeah, I don't know what to make of Washington State this year. And I go, okay, interesting, because I kind of – I've been pretty optimistic about Washington State. I, I picked you – know, sec- I think I had seven or eight wins for the season for my pre- preseason predictions. And I was surprised that it was such a tough game with Idaho. And then to see them come out and, and, and win a really, really tough road game at Wisconsin. And then they play Colorado State. And it's, I just kind of wonder, where, where, which like your expectations for this season? And, and it, or is just it feel like this upcoming game with Oregon is like a big barometer check for you guys? I think there's – that's a good question. I, I do think there's still some debate on what is this team. Are they a team that is okay and just happened to get lucky one Saturday in Wisconsin, or are they a legitimately good football team? And I do think there's going to be somewhat of a barometer check against Oregon. The one thing that is giving people a lot of confidence is that they, they're 3-0 and and the offense hasn't clicked. I mean, the offense has been, with the exception of the first half against Colorado State, it's been fine. It's been – here and there, good, good and bad, kind of a roller coaster. So I, I do think that's giving people confidence, as is the fact that, wow, Washington State has a defense. And, and not just a – you know, Washington State's had decent defenses in the past, you know, some good players, and they can keep you in games. But this is a defense that can win you games, and that's not something the Cougars have had in a long, long time. So I think there is some confidence, and especially as you look down the Pac-12 schedule – 
I mean, who knows what a lot of these Pac-12 teams are. I mean, I think, you know, as you look at it right now, Oregon's obviously going to be a challenge. USC, Utah, Washington. What are the other challenges? I mean, that's where the question is. Is Cal a challenge? Is Oregon State on the road probably a challenge? Cougs have beat them eight straight years. Is it that much of a challenge? Oregon State beat two Mountain West teams and a Big Sky team. How good are they really? I mean, I think Arizona uh, Arizona State's a mess. We'll leave that there. But <laughs> yeah, Arizona, that's a good who one. Knows? Uh, who, who knows what Arizona is? Who knows what Stanford is? You know, w- with Washington even, was is that just an unreal performance or is Michigan State not that good? So I do think there, there's hope. And I think as Kook fans look at the schedule, there aren't a lot of teams that they say, yeah, we have no shot at beating. Um, I, I think there's some um, hesitation about USC because of that offense and just how good they've looked, again, against subpar competition. Um, but I, I don't think you're looking at a game if you're Washington State and saying, yeah, there's no chance. Um, you know, I, I think it was last year you looked at uh, you looked at that game and Eugene even going in and said, yeah, probably not. Um, or you, you looked at, uh, you know, the game in Salt Lake City and said, no, Jaden Delora, probably not going to happen. So I, I think that there aren't as many of those games on the schedule. And it does help. Oregon and Utah, probably their toughest two opponents, and Washington, mm-hmm. for that matter, all at home. Mm-hmm. Actually, is- let, me, let, me, let me correct that. Outside of USC. Outside of USC. <laughs> USC is probably their toughest opponent, but that's on, and that's on the road. But there are other three. Fair, fair, fair. This is this will be a bit of a basic question. And I'm, Eric, I'm sorry I'm stealing it from you. Just, But I think it will help our, our listeners a lot, too. Just, just the basics, the strength and weaknesses of Ward's game and going into this game and what, what Oregon fans – We'll, you know, we'll ex- could expect to see from him overall. Yeah, I, I think his strengths probably lie in his, in his accuracy. I mean, he's you haven't seen in, when he's missed throws or his incompletions are are either miscommunications um, or they are interceptions. Which he didn't miss his throw; he just didn't see a guy. It's not like he's not throwing interceptions where he's sailing at fifty yards over the receiver's head and a safety's right. pretty much back there playing center field. It's He's not reading something, which is a problem in its own, but he's been overly accurate. Um, again, he's not the missed throws or the incompletions. There's a lot of throwaways um, or there's just kind of been a mistake here or there. So that's, I think, um, that's, I think, a strength is he's been pretty accurate when he is dialed in and when he's actually looking for the receiver and when they're on the same page. The weaknesses would be that he has made some throws that probably, again, are completions in the Southland. They're not completions in the in FBS. Um, you know, I, I look to the first, the three, all three interceptions he's thrown. Honestly, have been situations where he just either doesn't see a safety or he doesn't see a corner. You know, kind of lurking underneath. Lo and behold, it ends up an interception. So, I, I think his eyes are probably a, a bit of a work in progress, and, and I just think his consistency. Again, you, you see, he makes throws where it's like, wow, that's the guy that Washington State was expecting. And then, you know, it'll be like, okay, you need more of those throws instead of the, the short five-yard out here or the five-yard out there. Um, he made one against Colorado State to Dejon Stribling. He's getting absolutely hammered and just floats it right into his hands. It's a perfect throw. It's a beautiful throw. You need a little more of those than the, okay, that's maybe not the best throw in the world. It's just kind of it, – it's hitting the receiver in stride, but it's a little flick for four yards. I've got a statement before my final question that I want you to react to. Isn't it? Isn't it I mean, I guess it, I'm turning it into a question as I'm starting and I'm going, isn't it? Which, <laughs> isn't, which, yeah. is, which is how you start questions. Isn't it strange that we're going into an Oregon-Washington State game with two defensive-minded head coaches? 
I just it's, think it's so weird. It's funny you mentioned that because I'm actually planning on doing a story directly related to that um, yeah. about you look at Chip Kelly, you look at Mike Leach, you look at Nick Rolovich, you've got offensive guys. And now you have two guys whose backgrounds are in defense. It is weird because, I mean, if I think it's fair to say you look over the last decade of Pac-12 football, the two most prolific offenses probably have been Oregon and Washington State, at yeah. least in terms of consistency. Yeah. I mean, some of those some of those Chris Peterson offenses begrudgingly were, were pretty good, um, you know, when they were when they were at the top of the conference and they had Miles Gaskin. But I think if you, in terms of consistency, these are probably the, the programs who have had the best offenses over the last decade. And now it's wow, they have defensive minded head coaches. It's almost as funny as Washington having an offensive minded head coach after <laughs> however many years of defense, defense, defense. You know, insert NFL defensive back, NFL defensive tackle. Insert mm-hmm. not very good quarterback, and now wow, really good quarterback. What's their defense like? The league is kind of is like is like just like weird right now. I don't know. It's one of the weirder times it's been because I feel like almost every team in the conference is different than what your perceptions are going into a season. Like Oregon State, we haven't talked a lot about, but that is one of the more explosive pass offenses, and that has yeah. not been what we've seen from Oregon State for a while, and. They're just one of several teams that feel that way um, right now. It's got it's just a weird it's a weird time, and I'm I'm really excited to kind of just see how this year plays out and see these perceived strengths and if they really are strengths and, and kind of what works out. All right, this is this is my last one, and this is a statement, not a not a question. Give me three things Washington State must do to ensure they leave Martin Stadium with a win on Saturday. Take care of the football. There is number one, two, three, four, and five. Um, they have seven turnovers in three games this year. You're not going to beat Oregon turning it over two to three times a game. It just isn't going to happen. Uh, you know, they, they've, they've gotten away with it a little bit and granted one of their turnovers, they got the ball back on their, on a forced fumble after the interception. So that was a weird play. Um, but it's, uh, it's, you, you, you can't turn the ball. I mean, I don't think it's fair to say you can't turn it over at all, but you've got to limit it to one at most and if you do it can't be at the 10 at your own 10 yard line and it can't be at the opponent 10 yard line so anywhere between there is fine but um no i, I think the turnovers can't be untimely and you've got to force some on your own we can make that number two um you know washington state's bread and butter last year was turning over other teams they haven't done it as much they have gotten a couple um but i mean there were games where they were forcing three four five against arizona state it hasn't quite been as potent. Now, they haven't needed it as much because they're getting home more. I mean, it's almost a, a 180 with the sacks. I mean, they didn't get that many sacks last year. I think 21 total. Well, now they got 14 already in three games. So they've kind of found a bit of a different identity than the, the turnovers, but they've also come up with timely turnovers. Uh, Henley's pick to help seal the Idaho game. They had a huge forced fumble. Um, the one that uh, was mentioning um, off the interception against Wisconsin. And then another one later against Wisconsin that gave them the ball back, which they never relinquished. And even last week against Colorado State, um, the one, the forced fumble they got came at a moment where they really needed a turnover. Colorado State was driving late in the half. It wasn't like there was a whole lot of concern, but you didn't want to give them seven or even three right before half. They get a strip sack on a fourth down, get the ball back. Um, as for the third thing, special teams. Uh, Washington State special teams have started here, and kind of it's been a mixed bag. Uh, they were terrible against Idaho. Bad punts, kickoffs out of bounds. 
uh, excuse me, the kickoff out of bounds was Wisconsin. Bad punts. They missed a 22-yard field goal that should have sealed the game with about a minute left. I mean, they're all-conference kicker who missed three times all of last year. You know, shanks a 22-yarder. Uh, against Wisconsin, it started terribly. 22-yard punt, kickoff out of bounds. That sparked the Badgers' first drive. And then it got better and better and better. It was actually really good against Colorado State. So they need to maintain positive special teams. Special teams cost them two games last year. They beat BYU and they beat Central Michigan with good special teams last year. So I think that that's a huge part of this game. And, you know, sometimes it's those little things that win these really tight or really big games. Can't miss field goals, can't blow punts, have to get good returns, can't kick the ball out of bounds. Jimmy, thanks so much for your time, buddy. I appreciate it. We'll see you up there at Martin Stadium Saturday, bright and early, kind of. I don't know, 11-ish probably. Know. Pretty early. Yeah, that's right about right. Yeah, 11, 11, 30. Not too bad. All right. Thanks for joining us on the Outside of Those Podcast. For, uh, your name is Jared Mack, not Matt Prem. I'm Jared. Yes, thank you. Nice <laughs> to meet you, Eric. For Jared Mack and Eric Scopel, this has been the Outside of Those Podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.